0: The World Up Front is an international affairs podcast, interviewing leading minds on topics of global importance, bringing to light the events, ideas, and trends shaping today's world. your host, Alex Betley. March of this year observed the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War, a conflict that claimed more than 4,600 American lives and many, many Iraqis. The causes and consequences of the war are still discussed today, especially as the United States and its partners and allies continue to deal with the challenging security situation in the Middle East. To discuss this uh, momentous last, these momentous few decades, I brought on Colonel Frank Subcheck. Retired Colonel Frank Subcheck, PhD, is taught at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, the Joint Special Operations University, Tufts University, the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He holds a BS in military history from West Point, an MA in Arab Studies from Georgetown University, and a PhD in international relations from the Fletcher School. During his 26-year career in the U.S. Army, he served in various special forces assignments, including leading teams and companies in 5th Special Forces Group, advising foreign militaries, and representing U.S. Special Operations Command as a congressional liaison. He served in peacekeeping operations in Kosovo and in combat in Iraq. His final assignments include garrison command, akin to being a mayor or city manager of an army base, and leading the army effort to publish an official history of the Iraq War. That effort spanned five years and included the declassification of over 30,000 pages of documents and several hundred interviews, in addition to having access to a similar-sized set of documents and interviews that had not yet been released. The project's culmination resulted in the publication of the 1,500-page-two-volume set The U.S. Army in the Iraq War. Frank has been a frequent contributor to television, radio, and print interviews for topics such as Middle East security matters, defense reform, The Impact of Technology on Intelligence and Espionage, Civil-Military Relations, and Special Operations Forces. He is a contributor and fellow at the Miriam Institute, chair of Irregular Warfare Studies at the Modern War Institute at West Point, a 2023 Smith Richardson Security and Policy Fellow, and has been published in Newsweek, Time, The Wall Street Journal, The Jerusalem Post, Defense One, The Hill, and The Small Wars Journal. His Twitter handle is at Abu Jeshua. Frank, really glad to have you here with us.
1: Alex, thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it.
0: And um, I should also add, the, uh, I should also add that Frank is one of my favorite people from grad school at the Fletcher <laughs> School of Law and Diplomacy. Uh, not only is 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 Frank. Uh, has he written the definitive account of the Iraq war? He He's also my favorite boss I ever had. Uh, he was, he was my, my, <laughs> my boss briefly at the writing center at the Fletcher school and, uh, def- definitely my favorite.
1: <laughs> Thanks Alex. We were so fortunate to have you really someone of your caliber and writing <laughs> skills. we are we very fortunate.
0: Thanks Frank. I appreciate it. So let's get right into questions. Uh, in a recent piece for Time, um, which I thought was a really interesting piece, um, and you'll apologize, I, I forgot your co-authors, so maybe you'll wanna, might want to mention them. Um, what I thought was really interesting, you really went through piece by piece on how the decision to go to war in Iraq was kind of a huge failure. But the other side of that piece was our decision to withdraw and how we did it also was a failure. So I'm kind of curious if you can talk a little bit about Um, why the decision to go to war, uh, was such a mistake, but then also why withdrawing from a mistake was also a mistake.
1: Yeah. So this is one of the, the terrible paradoxes of the, the tragedy of the Iraq war. First invading Iraq was probably the worst foreign policy decision, if not one, or definitely one of the worst, if not the worst foreign policy decision in the history of the Republic. It has profound consequences for the Middle East, for the United States, for the world, and it has fundamentally changed the security situation that, that we and, and all of our allies face. First of all, the, the decision itself to go to war wa- was fundamentally flawed in, in many areas. It was flawed from a, the... Qassus Belli perspective, the the justification to go to war, um, which was primarily uh, based upon the notion that um, Iraq was linked to Al-Qaeda and potentially to the September 11th attacks. Um, It was also fundamentally linked to the notion that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction um, with the Bush 43, the George W. Bush administration identifying or correction, implying Uh, that Iraq either had or uh, was close to having nuclear weapons. Um, And in many cases, they threw the specter around of of WMD exploding over American cities as as a justification. So from that perspective, it was a tremendous failure. And many individuals in advance, um, within the intelligence community and within the political community and and the security community, um all identified that there was no smoking gun. There was no direct link between Iraq and Al-Qaeda. There was no concrete evidence of Iraq having weapons of mass destruction. There was uh, a sense, I would say, among the uniformed military that Iraq might have chemical weapons, uh, tactical chemical weapons, but that that was something that was either unlikely or impossible to be weaponized into a terrorist uh, strike. So consequently that the entire bedrock for the justification for going to war, which we talked to the, which the administration convinced the American public, there was American public support for the war. There was a vote in Congress that supported going to war. uh, And that entire bedrock was built on. And I'm going to try to give the Bush administration probably more, uh, credit than they deserve, but I'm going to be a little magnanimous, um, that <laughs> at best it was flawed intelligence and at worst it was manipulated intelligence. Um, and okay. That has consequences. It undermines the trust of the American public in, in its government. It fundamentally, you know, damages the fabric of democracy, the premise that the people that we elect are going to act in our best interest and not try to manipulate things. Um, you know, the, the core reason for going to war, you know, within months of uh, deposing Saddam Hussein, was revealed to be completely faulty, um, and right. so then I mean there were there were other underlying causes for the war. Um, Saddam had refused to allow inspectors. Um, however, most people felt that this was did, did not reach to the level of justification to go back to war, um, and uh, there were others who made an argument for Trump trying to kind of democratize the Middle East by doing regime change in Iraq, bringing democracy to Iraq. And then like uh, the people who believed this premise uh, kind of had this fanciful notion that it would be almost like Paris in 1944, that the, <laughs> the champion and the victorious allies would be greeted with flowers and falafel uh, right, right. As, as they marched right. into Baghdad, um, which also proved to be, completely fallacious Um, and was also something that had many individuals in advance had said that this is just not going to happen. you are going to be left with a long-term insurgency and profoundly changed the, the security environment in the Middle East. The second reason why it was tremendously a really bad idea was that it fundamentally upset the status quo in the Middle East. And, you know, you can make arguments, I think, fairly that the status quo in the Middle East, you know, at the time, you know, 2002, 2003 was not a great status quo. Um, But the problem with that is that hoping to upset the status quo, or when you upset the status quo, you should certainly hope that what you're going to end up with is better than what the status quo was. And frankly, the status quo was not bad. Um, Iraq Mm -hmm. had traditionally been kind of a regional counterbalance to Iran. Iran uh, post uh, the revolution uh, had been an aggressive and expansionist state, which actually really wanted to, and had been trying to get weapons of mass destruction, including long range missiles to put it on. Um, Right. But, you know, Iraq had kind of served as a, somewhat of a counterbalance to that. And, and, and in some right. ways, Iran, which, you know, obviously had fought an eight-year war and lost hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of people in, in a bitter conflict, saw them as a, as a, you know, as their kind of nemesis. And to a certain degree, in their strategic calculus, as long as Iraq was across the border, facing them with weapons they had to include that into their strategic calculus and, and plan for a certain number of forces to be able to defend potentially defend against that and and understand that that threat is always there mm-hmm. we stuffed dynamite under that status quo and blew it to smithereens and what was left after that was, A extremely brittle Iraq that was then able to be manipulated, exploited, infiltrated by Iran. And in many cases, Mm -hmm. much of their political and military infrastructure um, is now either directly controlled by Iran, and that's probably a little going a little bit too far, but certainly heavily Mm -hmm. influenced by Iran. And you know, right, to be right. very clear, there there is a lot going on in Iraq. The Sadrist movement, you know, decisively opposes and hates the Iranians as much as they hated the United States when we were occupying Iraq, which is kind of a <laughs> bonus—the um, only s- small silver lining out of this entire tragedy. Um, right. We destroyed the counterbalance to Iran and allowed Iran to effectively. Right you know, really manipulate Iraq. The Hashtashabi, the popular mobilization forces are in many cases trained, organized, paid, manipulated by the Iranians. Uh, Iranians are in many cases training in Iraq. They use Iraq as a waypoint, a a stopping point on the way to fighting in in Syria. Um, And You know, frankly, the other component of the status quo that we destroyed um, was we, again, unintended consequences. We did not want this, but these are the things that when you destroy a status quo, you're going to have consequences. In many cases, many of them Mm -hmm. unintended um, was the empowering Mm -hmm. of Daesh or ISIS. um, And um, in Iraq. Kind of a long story, but to try to—I'm not really good at making short stories. Funny, my—you know—my wife tells me <laughs> all the time, like, get to the point. Um, but you know, it's something—it's challenging, it's complex, and so um, after the, the fall of Saddam, um, there were uh, uh, elements of extremist movements in Iraq, Taqiyyat Jihad. Um, which did not have ties to Qaeda, um, but had extremist uh, Salafist beliefs. Um, Saddam, mm-hmm. after the 1991 uh, war, had kind of buddied up to Islamists to try to kind of give himself more domestic stability and strength. Um, the mm-hmm. Allah Akbar, um, God is the greatest, was added to the Iraqi flag post 1991. It's kind of a, a very vivid. Instrument oh. of this this change, um, I did not. I did not know yeah, that. Uh, but you know, the line that Saddam had drawn was he was not linking with. Uh, yeah. But there were some extremist elements that he kind of you know buddied up with, particularly mm-hmm. ones that were, of course, opposed to those nasty Shia in Persia in yeah. Iran that were willing to go right. do cross border right. strikes. Surprise, surprise. Right. Um, so he. Buddied up with some of these Tawhid Wal Jihad, post invasion, post collapse, again unintended consequences. Tawhid Wal Jihad gets uh, somewhat we kill off some of its leaders. Um, it gets eventually taken over by an individual named Abu Musab Al Well, that's an, his actual name. That, uh, that's his kunia, his war name. Um, which my war name was Abu Um, uh, Long story, and now I'll play <laughs> that sometime in person if you ever want to know. Um, So Zarqawi, you know, takes over talking about jihad and and, uh, Mm -hmm. then Al-Qaeda, seeing the chaos in Iraq, sends out emissaries to, you know, talk to people and try to establish a franchise in Iraq. Hey, bring the jihad to Iraq. And uh, they, you know, interview a couple of people. They select a a leader, which we end up killing off in Fallujah. And then, and Fallujah, the first battle of Fallujah in 04. And then Zarqawi comes to lead, comes to the front as the new leader of Al-Qaeda in Iraq. Um, And so he becomes the face of it. And eventually what kind of happens over time is Al-Qaeda in Iraq basically tells Al-Qaeda, like, "Ah, you know, you guys are too yesterday. You're too you know, <laughs> weak. You're too kinder, gentler. Um, and, and it's interesting because there's actually a series of letters that are going back and forth between Zarqawi and uh, oh, wow. um, Ayman Zawahiri, who's the kind of the, the, the brains of Al-Qaeda and Bin Laden himself. Um where you know Al Qaeda is writing to Al Qaeda in Iraq and saying, "Hey man, like back off, like stop slaughtering people <laughs> on TV. That's like you know killing other Muslims, yeah. killing Shia, because uh, that's yeah. just not cool. Yeah. You're going to undermine our base." Um, and eventually, what happens over time is Al Qaeda splits with Al Qaeda in Iraq splits with Al Qaeda creates its own offshoot. They start calling themselves the Islamic State um, in Iraq. Um, And they add Shemps later on um, in Syria, the Levant, however you want to say it, different people, you know. uh, And they create ISIS. And from about 06 on, you know, when these individuals are captured on the battlefield, they're saying, I fight for the Islamic State, Um, which later, uh, over time, our our friend in Syria, uh, Assad, uh, Bashar mm-hmm. said, um, who is nominally a Shia, um, but, you know, kind of a secular mm-hmm. Shia. He's terrified of the right. of Iraq being expanded into Syria. So as we start killing off some of the al-Qaeda in Iraq or Islamic State in Iraq fighters, he offers them the opportunity to move across the border and create a sanctuary. And is like, you know, again, <laughs> the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The same thing, basically, that's what mm-hmm. did with tawhid al-Jihad. And over time, Mm -hmm. ISIS grows to be so powerful that they, when the Syrian revolution kicks off, they become a direct threat to the Syrian state. Syria implodes. Okay. uh, And we have what we have today, Iraq and Syria, both as really failed states and states kind of in, in name only in some ways. Right. Um, Right. You know, you could, Kurdistan is really now a state
0: breakaway regions and breakaway
1: regions, just train wreck. Um, everything, you know, uh, all all international borders in in some ways have been erased effectively. And that is all follows from the dynamiting of the status quo that we did, that we chose to Mm -hmm. do in a war of choice. Um, right. the, The horrific uh, immigration challenges and the horrific, uh, I'm trying to look for the right word, I apologize, the uh, migration that that we are seeing um, and, and the refugee crisis that we see in Jordan, in Syria in all across yeah. europe because people are fleeing these 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 vacuums yeah. you know when when there is no yeah. authority it becomes the equivalent yep. of the wild wild west where people are murdered there's no law there's no peace there's no security there's no schools there's nothing and, and people are terrified they they, they, they desperately right. want to go somewhere where there isn't and right. we created all of that by the decision to go to the Iraq war, all of those consequences, all of those, you know, that has come home now. Right. The second tragedy, the, the, the the paradox is that in 2011, when we left, things actually weren't that bad. Um, right. And by 2009, so the rock war, you know, up to, I mean, the
0: surge, the surge was seen as being fairly successful the surge, at the time, right?
1: The surge was fairly successful, but it was fragile. Um, and we left, mm-hmm. you know, the surge is really over in 09 and we left two years after the surge, mm-hmm. it would be equivalent, like yeah. packing up and leaving South Korea in, you know, 1957 or leaving Germany right. in like 1948 what do you think right. is going to happen um right you know the to me iraq was a n- fundamental national security interest for the united states and the middle east from a security perspective from an economic perspective from an allies perspective from perspective of its closeness to europe from the perspective of uh, right. the dangers of iran the dangers of terrorism. We left two years after the surge had been generally successful, and Iraq was fragile, and it was sad because in many cases there were many individuals who actually predicted the failure, and tried to advise <clears throat> the Obama administration that hey, this is a really bad idea, to include. Secretary, Mm -hmm. then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who made an impassioned speech at a National Security uh, Council meeting and said to the extent and said, you know, something to this extent. And we don't know exactly what she said, but we this is reported by Mm -hmm. multiple sources that, that she basically said, look, you know, we spent 50 years in Germany and South Korea and Japan. And, you know, you know, look how they turned out um we've lost right. four thousand people in iraq hundreds of thousands of iraqis are we really just going to leave
0: and we did right and and, and then I, and i know sad part of this yeah, sorry go sorry. ahead no, i, I yeah, was so just gonna both say administrations, i mean also the, in, the
1: bush and obama share share in the tragedy i mean the ultimate responsibility is the bush yeah. administration But the Obama administration was so beholden by domestic politics and so, Mm -hmm. frankly, blinded by the notion of that that this is a bad war and this was started under bad Mm. circumstances, which unquestionably, that is an accurate statement. But the problem is, is you don't get a do over in life. You can't unring the bell once it's done. You can't magically go back in time. There's no DeLorean, you know, that's going to zap us back five Mm. years and convince (laughs) the Bush administration not to invade Iraq. We're where we're at. Right. And they made a really bad call.
0: What, um, from your perspective, what would Iraq have required if you could go back in hindsight and, and do it over? What in your view would Iraq have required? Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, the, the challenges, and this is one of the challenges of American politics, is we're we're a short-sighted country. I mean, I you know I love the United States, but we 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 live in two to four to six-year election cycles. Really, in my opinion, four-year mostly, mm-hmm. um, because the executive branch is really leading things on on foreign policy, um, mm-hmm. and in many ways, we use foreign politics as a cudgel in our domestic political competitions um, and and say, Hey, you know, you invaded Iraq, you're responsible for this. We're going to, we're going to leave. And that's why you should vote for us. Mm -hmm. And what we should have done, the challenges is that, you know, it would have required decades, you know, rebuilding, you know, if you look at the rebuilding of South Korea, of Germany, of Japan. It took decades, all of them. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it was not pretty along the way. There were horrible mm-hmm. people that were allowed to remain in power. We snuggled up next to authoritarians and borderline dictators. In some cases, you know, the South Korea, mm-hmm. um, right. we, you know, let, war criminals give them a you know small punishment and then let them go back into government in some cases mm-hmm. um and so there were horrible calls but in the long term when you look at where germany is now where japan is now where south korea is now they are three vibrant democracies and mm-hmm. economically successful and allies and frankly in some cases allies who you know for the iraq war when we were acting like the drunk person trying to take the keys out of our pocket (laughs) and go drive the car when our bac was like five times the you know the legal limit they're like hey maybe you don't want to drive right now this invading iraq isn't a good idea you know who who were good Good. allies and like trying to talk us out of it um Right. The challenge is getting to that level of success, which frankly, I think could have been possible in Iraq, would Mm -hmm. have taken that long. Um, Right. It Um, it would not have been easy along the way. It would have been costly. It would have been difficult. It would have been required some difficult, unsavory choices. But that's politics Mm -hmm. in the league, big leagues. That's global security. That's just how the game is played.
0: Frank, one thing I, uh, if we could yeah. go back to the decision to go to war uh, and some of our allies, you, you know, you mentioned uh, we're trying to take yeah. the, the keys out of our drunk pockets. Basically one, one country that I, that I haven't really heard a lot about, you know, you hear about the Frances and the Germanys and the coalition of the willingness. What was the view of Israel during all of this? And part of the reason I ask that is because it, it would seem to me that you know the you know ability for Iraq to provide a deterrent kind of against Iranian influence yeah. in the region would so, benefit Israel.
1: Uh, Israel was very supportive of regime change. And I mean okay so you know again Israel is there are individuals who are against it, there are individuals who are for it. But the polls that I've seen is there is a Large majority that favored regime change in in Iraq. Now, there's there's a lot of scar tissue, I think, uh, in Israel, and you know a lot of people in Israel uh, remember firsthand uh, from 1991 when Scud missiles were landing in Tel Aviv and all across Israel, and Patriot missiles were shooting and, you know, hitting some of the scuds or partially hitting some of the scuds and people were, you know, Mm. putting on gas masks because there was a fear of, you know, nerve gas. And, you know, if you don't, I mean, think of that, you know, Jews, you know, Israel, Jews in Israel being killed by nerve gas again. Um, They're, they're real, you know, they're right. Politics is always personal and and local and that scar tissue of from the 1991 war left really deep deep marks in israel um and so there certainly was this sense that hey if if we could get rid of saddam uh and replace him with others who were more democratic or or less opposed to us, that would be great. And and the challenge is, is that many uh, who were pushing that narrative in Israel, um, you know, kind of were in the same camp of those pushing that, the same narrative in the United States in that not not the same people or the same group, just that they believe the same philosophy, right? They believe this philosophy. And there's this notion, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, put forth by different scholars you know the the uh, you know the the world is on a path to democratization, kind of the end of history. You know the democracy is going to win. Right. All you have to do is put it there, and it's it's this this flower that is going to take over everything. It's like kudzu, you know that it it that you can't stop it. We're at a point in history where you can't stop democracy. It's it's on the march, um, and you know it's a, it's a global philosophical belief. And, you know, there are people across the world who believe that, that notion. Yeah. Um, And so the majority, that scar tissue combined with the, that notion combined with an optimistic view of what would happen next and not really looking at unintended consequences, um, you know, Israel was supportive and they end up with, you know, again, they're in right. the same strategic situation uh, that we are. Those you know, unintended consequences have made the security situation much worse for them. Right. Okay. It's actually an article I'm gonna, I'm aiming to write here once I finish
0: my book. There's right. a lot more. Um, oh, excellent. I'll be, I'll be looking forward to that because I'd, I'd be curious to know. And we, we, you know, I know we only have about 10 minutes left, so I want to move on, but I'd be curious to know more about the view in Israel, even like today, you know, versus what the view would have been in the United States in 2002, 2003 versus now, but yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe we'll save that for another time. Um, so one thing I really wanted to get in before, um, before we end here and it, two, two real questions. Uh, the first is, kind of where is the US today engaged not just in Iraq but really how is the US engaged in in the region because obvi- yeah. obviously Iraq has become a contested space in the region as you alluded to at, at the beginning but then also I, I hope at least you can comment um, on on what what major lessons our involvement in iraq should should teach us both both in the region and then more generally because um it's it's been obvious at least to me that many politicians in the united states and elsewhere yeah. have taken general lessons from what's occurred in iraq so maybe if you could comment yeah. on where we're engaged so, and, so then, a, and then and then lessons the beautiful from nature the nature of
1: american politics um i'm going to pause here for a second and um, there's sarcasm there sarcasm alert <laughs> Um,
0: uh, you know, I'm going to throw in a <laughs>
1: Russian, uh, you know, military theorist, von Clausewitz, uh, you know, about, you know, worst extension of politics by their means. And that, that, you know, war and politics is always intertwined. Um, right. We're, we're only involved in the Middle East now because yeah. of politics. Um, and that is that after the Obama administration, I was tremendously right. embarrassed by the rise of Daesh, isis and the you know they're a jv team um uh yeah oops that didn't age well <laughs> uh yeah
0: yeah that was kind of weird, you know. All of a sudden, it was yeah, like, "Oh, wait or, a minute, hey, we got to start bombing well, I'm again." Leaving
1: Iraq, oh, oh well, I'm sending yeah. ten thousand people back, which is ironically yeah. is what we talked about leaving in the first place. Which, which people yeah. like Secretary Clinton were arguing to stay, which, yep. which might have prevented the fiasco. But anyway, you know, right. we, we're just back here in the background watching the, you know, right. eating popcorn. Um, the so. Right. We're only in in the Middle East at this point to kind of placate that and prevent that and say, oh, we're in the Middle East because we don't want to get blamed if another ISIS or another terrorist attack shows up. Right. Because the Obama administration got drug through, you know, right, drug through the, you know, the briars and brambles and everything else. Um, And rightfully so for their decision to leave Iraq. And even though they're like, oh, no, it's definitely not connected to the rise of ISIS, whatever, um, you know, <laughs> spoiler, it was um, the you know, they they got really politically on the domestic political competition. They got beat up hard for it and they lost boats unquestionably. So we're in, if we're in Iraq in the Middle East now, really, just to kind of prevent that from happening. Um, I mean, you could kind of argue that there's some elements that we were trying to block Iranian expansion in Syria and there, you could maybe make that case argument a little bit, Um, but we're really, really not in the Middle East Sure. and and everyone at this point, you know, the U S has washed its hands with the Middle East, certainly the, the Biden administration has, I mean, Biden was the, you know, the person in charge of Middle East policy. He was given the portfolio by president Obama and said, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. vice president Biden, go run with this. You, you know, division and conquer, I want you to work this portfolio. And so he it is responsible for many of the decisions. Um, and it, ironically, you know, obviously the president has got the final say, but in the national security council meeting, when they were trying to make the decision on whether to withdraw right. or not, there were like three people who decided who supported the withdrawal or other than the president, who obviously wins, you know, today, um, the vice president and the National Security Advisor. Right. Right. Everyone else across that principal meeting, you know, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, CIA, you know, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, other. We're right. all like, no, we shouldn't. Leave. This is a bad idea. Boss. Um, but, you know, the boss is the boss. Um, right. So we're in there to prevent. The domestic political blowback that the Obama administration received. They, they, we we have no. I mean, were there in a token amount, right? Um, and in many cases, all of the players know this. Like the Saudis know it, the Turks know it, the Israelis mm-hmm. know it, the Iranians mm-hmm. certainly know it. And they're you know that you know licking their lips and they're 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 playing You're the game, exploiting that. Um, Yep. And I mean, you know, this is why we're seeing all these like <clears throat> tectonic changes, you know, like crazy stuff like, you know, the Abraham Accords, the UAE, Israel, uh, other countries, right. Asia. I mean, they're making peace. You can fly from things you could never imagine. You can fly from Dubai to Tel Aviv. I mean, right. like, what? Like, you know, 10 years ago, like somebody would tell you that and you'd be like, oh, right. F crazy. Like, never going to happen. Um, but all of that is is
0: not possible. The train yep.
1: wreck as a result of the war. Because all, you know, these international relations theory of balancing, baby, that's going on right now. Excuse me on my, you know, slipping into vernacular. Um, but that's happening, you know, the, the no. Saudis and the Israelis, they're like, there's, there's all sorts of secret little meetings going on and, and, and not so secret. Like, you it's... Know, like you, you, receives, you know, open media sources and the Saad director in, in, in the kingdom of, of Saudi jets with Saudi political leadership right. in Tel Aviv. you like, you know, photos of it. Like, hmm, I wonder what's going on there. You know, two countries that don't have diplomatic relations, and it, it's—I hmm, wonder why they're meeting. Yeah, maybe because they both have an enemy in Iran. Hmm. So, so th- you know, th- that's what's happening in the Middle it's, East. It's so, that, that, it's so it's yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the, oh, the, sorry, I
0: think I got delayed a little bit. I was just going to say, it's so it's so interesting to me that. Um, like rarely, I feel like you mentioned, uh, you know, IR theory. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's rare yeah. that real life global politics approximates IR theory um, so closely as it seems to be happening in the Middle East right now with just classical balancing rail politique interest derived, um, developing. Um, Absolutely. Structures Offensive
1: and defensive, you know, uh, the. To take case in point, you know, there's mm-hmm. all this very interesting, strong information slash borderline intelligence that the Saudis are starting to work a nuclear program. Um, and again, why? Because of the Iranians who are, you know, right on the on the cusp of, of becoming a nuclear state um, mm-hmm. and of joining the club. And, and so, you know, those those are all the consequences for the for the for the region. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it, I guess, so the right. second part of your question was what lessons do we take from this? I mean, you know, the first one uh, to me is the, is the biggest one is, you know, wars are terrible things. And when you start one, they're going to, they, 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 are like zombies. I mean, you know, that's the, that's what the whole song, the, uh, the cranberry song is about the z- zombies. Right, that's about the 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 troubles, the, the, the British, Irish, Northern Irish conflict is it's a, it's a zombie. It gets its life of its own, and it goes and murders people and kills innocents and you know terrible things. That that's war. War is a zombie. Once you started it, it starts to do things that you can't control. And you're gonna have unintended consequences. So anytime you get this, this fanciful notion that oh, we're gonna create a war and and we're gonna go topple this regime and everything's gonna be hunky dory and great, that's just madness. Yeah. And and before going to war, boy, you, you you better have a really good justification for it. You really better ha- be willing to commit long term resources toward it and, and toward the reconstruction and everything afterwards and not bail in 10 years. Cause it takes more than 10 years. That's just history right. tells us that, um, that before going to war, think about right. the consequences. Cause the zombie is coming out. You are unleashing a zombie. The, the second thing I would say is, is in parallel with that is, and again, this is this directly tied to what happened. If you do decide to go to war, you're in it. You're in it for you're in it. And, 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 you know, unless, you know, you, okay. So let me rephrase, assess the strategic consequences, assess the strategic value to you and your country and your allies. And if it's of strategic value, be in it for the long haul. And in my opinion, Iraq always was right. And that was why it was a tremendous mistake to leave. As a parallel, mm-hmm. Afghanistan never was. There's no strategic or almost no strategic value in Afghanistan. It was a terrible humanitarian disaster when we left, but there was no strategic value for us to stay there. None. Zero. Um, and it was just merely bleeding us dry. Mm-hmm. Iraq, on the other hand, is right has huge strategic consequences. And if you are involved in you've started a conflict or someone else, some other schmuck, some other moron has started a war. Um, you know, (laughs) you know, like we said, you just, you can't turn back time. Um, you gotta run with it. And if it matters and it did in Iraq, you commit for the long haul, And you commit resources and you stay there. And and you tell the American public, even if it's not what your party, you know, the challenge of domestic politics is one party often, even if it's in your strategic interest, that doesn't matter. You just flip to the other side because the other party is for it. You just you can't be agree with the other party ever. It's madness in politics right now. Um and but that's well the Republican (laughs) Party has descended really into madness, but our politics is madness. Period. Um, anyway, so that, those are the two things that I would take out of it. Is
0: no kidding. Well, well, with that, Frank, I think I think we'll end. Um, I really appreciate you uh, making the time for me. I know we we had a couple of reschedules, so uh, th- it was really really a pleasure listening to you talk about this. It's always a pleasure reading your stuff and listening to your commentary on any number of issues,
1: and reading your stuff too. You, man, you're on you're so gifted. Um, I love reading your stuff too.
0: I appreciate that, Frank.
1: Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it.
0: Of course. Talk to you soon.
1: Yep. Take care.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the world Upfront. If you liked this episode, go ahead and give us a follow or like we're on all the major social media platforms and feel free to share this episode and others with friends, family, and anyone who might be interested.